Hello everyone, this is Saqib, uh, first episode for Tennis with an Accent. The new season is already, already under the books. We have few winners, but the theme is injuries and comebacks. And uh, we have the honor of speaking again with uh, Richard Evans, who's, you know, been, who's, who's endorsed this podcast, and we're really glad that he's making his return today. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah, so let's get right into the action. Uh, we, we've had some winners, and... On the, both ATP and WTA tour, where the first week uh, is now in the books. Uh, any anything that impresses you in uh, Nick Kyrgios or Gael Monfils return uh, to tour and Gilles Simon and Elena Svitolina? Yes, I'll get to them in a minute. But let's just um, say that Ro- Roger Federer started awfully well. <laughs> he played the Hopman Cup. He had young Belinda Bencic, who has been suffering from a lot of injuries in the past, but is obviously fit again. And Switzerland won the Hopman Cup. And it was mostly down to Roger Federer, who seems to be one of the fittest players around. And maybe that uh, that's uh, quite something to say, because uh, there are an awful lot who aren't fit. But to go back to your original question on the ATP Tour, I'm delighted that Nick Kyrgios um, came through so strongly and kept his concentration and revealed to his Brisbane audience just how talented he is. Beating Grigor Dimitrov was not easy because Grigor's been playing very well. Of course, he won the ATP finals at the O2 in London at the end of last year, his biggest ever uh, title. And we expect big things from Dimitrov this year. I really think he can kick on and become consistent and possibly win a Grand Slam. So for Kyrgios to beat him was a huge feather in the Aussies cap. And I think if Kyrgios can get more confident and and believe in his ability and focus on his game, he is, of course, probably the most talented player out there. He can do anything at any given moment and he can win anything. Uh, so uh, those two in the final in Brisbane, I'm expecting a lot of both of them because they 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 can win big um the the other the other winner um was uh tell me Monfils and, yeah gail Monfils, yeah. another huge plus for the tour if gail can maintain his fitness i think he's he's now more mature mentally i think he takes care of his body better because he's such an acrobatic unbelievable athlete Many players on the tour consider him to be the best athlete on the tour. But for all his early 20s, he was throwing himself about court. The crowds loved it. But the problem was he was hurting himself all the time. And I think now maybe he's realized that he doesn't have to uh, do a gymnastics class every time he plays. And if he stays fit, he's got the talent to win more than the title he's won already this year. And that would be a huge plus for the game who need the entertainers, who need the personalities. And Gail Monfils is certainly that. And there are other winners as well. Uh, Simon uh, won the Maharashtra Open in uh, Pune, India. And he's someone, you know, who was kind of uh, written off at least in, uh, in many discussions. And But now he's coming back strong in week one. And then we had Alina Svetolina and Julia Gerges, uh, also, you know, first first week winners on the WTA. Julia Gerkes is, is uh, I, I don't know what's happened to her. She's, she's uh, obviously eating the right cereal or something because she's now won three titles in a row. 
for a lady who really hadn't won very much. She'd always been a good player. She'd been an also-ran. She lost in finals. And Germany was all, always hoping that she'd burst through and do something really good to justify her ability, which is considerable. And now she's won three consecutive titles. So Julia Gerges um, might go on and do something spectacular in Melbourne. Who knows? She's certainly got the confidence going. And um, and not to miss out, there's also Simona Halep, who was in the winner's circle as well. Yes, Simona Halep will continue to be um, a threat to anyone. Um, she's proved that she, she can win big. She's lo looking for a, a, a really big Grand Slam. She's retained Darren Cahill. There were rumors that maybe Darren was going to go off and work with someone else, but he's back at her side with a big grin on his face, I noticed, after she won her title. So Simona Halep's going to be right in there. And um, we'll just have to wait and see um, how the tour on the women's side pans out because Serena Williams has decided finally uh, not to play the Australian Open. I understand she hasn't been practicing very much. I understand she may be not very fit at the moment, which probably was the deciding factor uh, in uh, in her non-show in Melbourne. But she's a mum, and that is taking up most of her time, and who can blame her? But when she comes back, that's a big question mark, and what sort of fitness will she be in when she does? So there's a huge question mark over Serena, less so against her amazing sister, who is, of course, the older sister, Venus, who's number five in the world, having been so consistent last year with Grand Slam finals and winning tournaments and being in so many other semis and finals. And she just loves it, apparently, because she's suffering from the Sjogren's disease, which no one really understands how bad it makes you feel. But people who have it say it makes you feel pretty rotten. But she's obviously got that under control. And instead of sitting on a couch, she's out there beating the best players in the world, which is an extraordinary achievement. And if she can maintain that, she's going to be a factor during the year. Uh, let's go back to Nick Kyrgios. We spoke briefly about uh, a few minutes ago. Now, you, you've covered Richard Tennis for a very long time, and you've seen many big personalities from the days of Nastasi to McEnroe and you know so on, Becker, even Isimich. Uh, sometimes I know Kyrgios is out of line, and sometimes he's really out of line, but is he one of the worst behaved in your memory, or or do we make uh, too much of a big deal because, you know, with all the social platforms, uh, players are scrutinized more, I think, than ever before? What's your take on his uh, relationship uh, with media and how we treat him in general? Uh, the focus is much bigger than it was because of social media. I've been watching these players all the way back, Ilya Nastasi, John McEnroe. I may have tended to give some of these players a little more slack than the harshest critics. Um, because none of us know who haven't played the game at that level just what kind of intensity and ferocious pressure there is on an individual playing in front of a huge crowd, having to perform, having to give his best or her best. And uh, some of them behave very badly. And Nick Kyrgios has, on several occasions earlier on in his career, behaved appallingly. And there are various reasons for that. But I tend to look beyond what happens in one's face and look beyond that to the person. Who, who is he? What kind of person is he? 
And Nick Kyrgios is now proving that he's a very good person. I've spoken to a lot of people who've been around him. For instance, John Evert, um, who obviously is the chief coach at Chris Evert's camp in Boca Raton. Um, they're back together again. I'm referring to Aya Tomlanovic and Nick Kyrgios. They had a little separation in the summer, but they're back together again. And despite the fact that she's playing for Australia, um, Aya spends most of her off-court time at Boca, and Nick goes and stays with her. So I said to John Everett, uh, you know, what's he like to have around? I mean, he's got this reputation for being difficult and being, you know, rude. And, and what's he like to have around the place? And John Everett said he's perfect. He said he's a delight to have around. He's terrific with the kids. We've never had any problem with him at all. Now, that to me tells you far more about Nick Kyrgios than, you know, five or six bad outbursts on court. And uh, in addition to that, off his own bat, he started up a program for juniors in Melbourne, a camp, and he's pouring his own money into it. And so this this is the Nick Kyrgios who's emerging. And the criticism is dying down because people are starting to see the other side of him, the real side of him. Uh, and he's got a very difficult personality. He's playing not his favorite sport. He wants to play basketball. But, you know, he's, he, he's, he's coming to terms with who he is. He's also having to come to terms with the fact that he's got a bad body for tennis that gets injured very easily. And that's pressure all the time. And so I think as the year unfolds, he may have another flare-up. But as the year unfolds, I think we'll see Nick Kyrgios not only playing some superb tennis and maybe winning a Grand Slam, but becoming established as a really good guy to have around the tour. And uh, another question on him before we move on. Uh, now this is on his tennis. I mean, I've seen him, you know, courtside a few times. And when interested in dial-in, he's one of the few guys who can take the racket out of your hand. So who does he remind you of, uh, of the players that you've seen and uh, how, you know, how, how, how great his talent is? And a lot of time people think he's just a serving machine. I think that it's far from the truth. He, he has a very all-round game. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's basically the X factor in the men's tour right now. We're talking about Kyrgios still? Yeah, we're still with Kyrgios, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's as talented uh, as, as any player I've seen, I think. I mean, you, you immediately think of sheer ability. There's a difference between sheer ability and, and, and winning uh, the greatest number of Grand Slams, although Roger Federer fits that both ways. But uh, I'm thinking of Ilya Nastasi, who only won a couple of Grand Slams. I'm thinking of John McEnroe, who only won eight, which was a travesty because he was so talented. And, uh, you know, for sheer ability... Um, I, I think of, of those two, and Nick Kyrgios is, is, is their equal in an ability to hit amazing shots. Um, he's got such great hands. He's, he's got a great serve. He's as fast as lightning. Um, he's a super talented tennis player. Okay, so another topic that's doing circle, at least you know, in the forums I keep reading, uh, was an incident involving Kyle Edmund and Grigor Dimitrov in the quarterfinals in Brisbane and when Kyle uh, Edmund suffered that injury Dimitra ran over which is of course you know the very right thing to do I won't even say nice it's the basic thing you know we all do and these are like colleagues these players practice they know each other and they also know the impact of injuries 
So a lot of time, you know, when Del Potro did the same gesture with Almagro, which is very noble, but at the same time, very basic, you know, you've helped a friend or a maid out. Uh, people start throwing this as a candidate for sportsmanship of the year. So yeah. I think we're a little early. <laughs> no, but uh, I think this is very basic. I mean, sportsmanship should be how you conduct yourself. So don't you think, uh, I know Roger Federer keeps winning it. And a lot of people think, you know, this award is, you know, somewhat, you know, getting boring. But uh, why does he keep winning? And uh, what are the criteria in your mind that should be weighed in? Or at least educate us what are the criteria that actually are weighed in when uh, someone's uh, sportsmanship caliber is judged on a yearly basis? I, th- I think people take, take into consideration many things, how they conduct themselves on court and off court. And we in the media are obviously very conscious of how they conduct themselves in press conferences. And you really get to know what a person is like as to how he reacts to those questions. And uh, I think uh, also the the sort of thing that Grigor Dimitrov did, um, no one was surprised really because everyone knows him as one of the nicest and most pleasant and caring people on the tour. Um, The the weird thing was that he jumped the net going to Kyle Edmonds' assistance. If if he tripped and hurt himself, that would have been rather sad. But uh, players have sort of given up that now. I mean, Rod Laver always used to jump the net on finals day at, at Wimbledon or Forest, Forest Hills when, when he won. The players don't seem to do that anymore. Anyway, rushing to Edmund's uh, assistance, Dimitrov did jump the net. And uh, as Kyle said, um, you know, I wasn't surprised because he's such a nice guy and um, he, he cares about people. So I, I think it's a big plus. I, don't, I, I think we're in the second week of the year. I don't think you can talk about who's going to win the Sportsmanship Award yet, but it was a gesture. It was appreciated. And from British tennis point of view, uh, the, the more pertinent point is that Kyle Edmund does not seem to have hurt himself very badly. He went over on his ankle. He's put out a statement saying that he expects to fully recover in five days. And uh, let's hope he does, because British tennis has got three potentially great players, one great player and, and two others who are coming up, uh, obviously Andy Murray and uh, Kyle Edmund who is improving all the time and is very strong and very promising, and Joanna Conta, who has started off the year um, very well after a disastrous end to last year, Um, and she had to pull out uh, with a hip problem. She also says that it's not very serious. We hope so, because... uh, Two players with hips and one with an ankle for British tennis going into 2018 wouldn't wouldn't be too much fun. Mm. Uh, okay, this is a very clean segue to what I've been meaning to ask. The elephant in the room is injuries and comeback. You know, injuries have been part of all professional sports, but it seems to be the theme of uh, the tennis season as we have already entered week two. Uh, and you wrote a very fascinating piece, I think, a while back, uh, for the tennis channel, where you're questioning, you know, what's causing these injuries? Nobody seems to be talking about. But uh, what, in your mind, are the reasons? Is it just the homogenized uh, playing fields, the playing style? You know, you're doing the same motions again and again. The game's more physical. Uh, is it racket technology, the string technology? Athletes are too fit. People are pushing their limits. Uh, is the sport talking about this? I mean, at, at, the, at your journalist level, what, what is uh, what is the environment? Are people concerned because? Uh, we may lose Andy Murray, you know, uh, not like fully, but he may never be the same. So speculations are already there. So just uh, tell us where do you stand with this and what are the causes uh, for this grind? And uh, 
than the price players are paying physically. It is a huge problem. It is a crisis. I don't think the game is getting to grips with it sufficiently. I don't think the media are really paying enough attention. Um, By August last year, five of the world's top players couldn't play anymore last year. That's a crisis. Look at the five ranked players a year ago, the top five. All of them have been injured, out completely or just struggling to come back like uh, Rafa Nadal and Milos Ranić and Stan Wawrinka. They all quit. Um, Nishikori is, is still unable to play. Andy Murray is unable to play. This is a crisis because the attrition is far too great. You, you can't have five of the, your top 10 quitting by the end of August because they're hurt. So we have to do something about it. I spoke to a couple of people who probably know what they're talking about. Um, let's take um, Jez Green first. Jez Green built Murray into the athlete he is. He's now working with Sasha Zverev, who is becoming stronger by the month as a result of Jez's work with him. And Jez made the basic point to me when we talked at the O2. He said the, the human body wasn't meant to play tennis. It was meant to run in a straight line forward very fast, not to go from side to side, jamming your foot down on a hard surface and twisting and pushing off and doing that a hundred times in a couple of hours. He said that the human body is struggling with how good the top players, this is the irony, how good the top players have become. Because if they weren't so good, you wouldn't be getting 20, 25, 30 stroke rallies, which puts incredible burden on the body. And so uh, one of the problems, which hopefully is not going to change, is they're all too good. Um, and so let's go to the other gentleman I spoke to, which was Ivan Lendl, who knows everything about the game from player to coach. And I said, you know, what's the problem? And he said one word, strings. And he maintains that the strings that are being used now, the synthetic strings, which enable you to get more topspin and hit the ball much harder and keep the ball in play, is the single biggest factor. It wasn't the only one, but the single single biggest factor that's pushing the body beyond its limits. Because you cannot go on week after week after week hitting the ball like these guys do those those of you listening who haven't played tennis um, at any level may not understand the physical effort required to hit just one ball across the net with the power and speed that these guys do. It's a physical effort every time you hit the ball. Every part of the body is jarring and in some cases eventually screaming out for relief. Andy Murray had that unbelievable end to 2016 where he ran around the world winning tournaments, getting to the finals, and then he made a mistake, which is now admitted. He put himself through his his training block in Miami instead of hitting a beach, which is where he should have gone. And so he played badly in, in uh, the Australian Open, but he did manage to win, I think it was Dubai or was it Qatar? a Middle East tournament immediately afterwards. And I'm told by someone in his camp that he woke up having won the title 
with a red rash from top to toe down the front of his body. And that was his body saying, mate, I can't do this anymore. Give me a break. And of course, it ended up where Andy had to give himself a break because the hip went. But it just, it was the body crying out saying, this is going too far. And a lot of the players are pushing themselves to that limit. Djokovic has got an elbow problem. Nadal with his knees. Del Potro, is, is he coming back? Have we seen him yet? The, the, the risk will probably always be a concern for him. So the injuries are a huge problem. Uh, talking about Djokovic, uh, to me, he's clearly the comeback uh, player of the season. Everybody's intrigued to see, especially the new team he's built. Uh, I know Andre Agassi is, you know, legend of the game. Uh, of course, not m- much coaching pedigree following the recruit and same with the Radek Stepanek. So what do you make of those moves at Novak's level? Is he just looking for a new voice because he just wants to reset expectation and, you know, start over again because he probably hasn't forgotten how to play tennis. And uh, with those unknown, uh, you know, additions, of course, great players in their regard. Uh, what is What are your expectations of Djokovic physically and how do you see this partnership gelling and how quickly can we expect him to be competing for those big titles again? Well, we won't when he wa- he's walking around with a huge bandage on his elbow. That's the first thing. That was the last photograph I saw of him about six days ago. So obviously the elbow is still a concern. Um, for those of us who know Djokovic a little bit and have observed him, his mental state is still a query because he lost focus. After he won the French Open, he completely lost focus. It wasn't the same Novak Djokovic. He may have got that focus back. We'll only know when he starts competing at the sharp end of tournaments. Um, Andre Agassi, uh, possibly a good addition to his camp, but Andre hurt himself. Uh, what was he doing? Snowboarding or something? And he's apparently not going to be in Australia. Um, so that's on hold. Radek Stepanek is an interesting character, very upbeat, obviously knows a lot about the game, great doubles player as well as being very effective in singles. Maybe that's the sort of personality that Novak needs around him. It could be. Um, And so we'll just have to wait and see. But I think there are many, many question marks around Novak, uh, which I hope he can all answer in the affirmative and we get the great champion back again because he's one of the great players of all time, possibly um, the best built athlete for tennis that you've ever seen. Uh, he's, he's got this amazing stretch, amazing speed. He's not too big and he's not too small. But it's it's worrying that with that perfect body, he's getting injured. And we get back to the same old problem. It's no use having these great players if they're not fit enough to walk on court. Uh, are, are top players more prone to injuries because they're also playing the most matches? They're putting their bodies through these, you know, these long matches and going deep into the tournaments. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, lower-ranked players also get a lot of injuries, but they probably go unnoticed. But this trend, uh, has this trend ever been replicated? Like when, say, Lendl McEnroe or Becker were playing because that time points were much shorter. Yeah, and, uh, it was a different game. It was a different game. I mean, they got hurt. Ken Rosewell, until until he was 43, never got hurt. Never. He, he, his shoulder was hurting one day. 
I was working for the ATP. He was over 40. He said, Richard, what am I supposed to do? My, my shoulder hurts. I said, Kenny, have you, have you never seen a physio? You, you've never been injured before? He said, I can't remember. I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, but he had that style of game that put no pressure on his body. And certainly it was, a di- it was different in the Edberg, Lendl, McEnroe era, but nothing like it is today. And we get back to the strings. And if I can go back to that, um, it's not just the strings, it's the slowness of the court, it's the heaviness of the balls, and that is things that the game, the, the, the leaders in the game, can do something about. They can make the courts faster, they can make the balls lighter, and, although it would probably take them into the le- legal questions, they should do something about the strings. Because those of us who are old enough remember the spaghetti stringing, so-called, because the, the strings were wrapped around about three or four times around each other, and it looked like spaghetti. The current modern-day strings that the players use are the spaghetti strings in disguise, because you can't tell the difference by looking at them. And they're not quite, they're, they, they, they don't put quite as much spin uh, on the ball as the spaghetti strings did, but very nearly. Okay, so this brings me to a question which may not make sense to you, but I'm going to just throw it out there. Uh, it's not a theory, but uh, it's just a query on my part. So a guy like Djokovic or Murray, I mean, you know, how physical, you know, tennis they play, and they were like machines at the end of 2016, and that's a compliment. They were just like invincible on court, retrieving almost dead balls and putting rallies back into reset mode. So you think guys like this, uh, when they exhaust so much physically to win point by point and week in, week out for titles, that also causes like a mental fatigue? Is that related? Because if they were playing more of an Edberg kind of a style where points were shorter, you don't exhaust yourself physically and as a result stay a little bit fresh mentally? Or does that make sense, the correlation? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, of course they're related. I mean, that's why Djokovic collapsed mentally. He set himself a huge target to win the French, to complete the set of four Grand Slam titles, which very few people have done. And he knew it was going to be very, very difficult. And he achieved it. And he was exhausted physically anyway, because he'd been winning and winning and winning. And uh, his his mind packed up. So, yes, definitely it can be um, a mental fatigue as well as a, f- a physical fatigue and it, it, it just re-emphasizes you can't emphasize enough how much more of a workload it is to be a guy who gets to the semi-finals or finals every week compared with the rest of the field even if someone's good enough to get to a final one in six weeks one in six tournaments it's nothing compared with the Djokovic or the Murray or the Federer or the Nadal, who is getting to the final virtually every time they play. And you have to play two extra days in a week. Whereas the guy who loses in the quarterfinals uh, has a day off, gets on a plane, goes to the next place, has another day off, and then plays. If you win on Sunday afternoon, you're on a flight that night possibly to a different continent, and you've got to play again on the Tuesday. And the difference is enormous. Yeah. All right, so before we wrap this up, there's a big question uh, about, you know, the new news that came out of uh, 
Thomas Bellucci's suspension. Uh, how familiar are you with this, uh, the vitamin supplement, you know, that he took and this is, uh, and his punishment is like backdated. So why weren't we told about this? Uh, is, is this something normal? Have you seen, uh, something similar before because the Maria Sharapova case was the recent one. And uh, it seemed like, at least from the fans and media point of view, there was quite uh, transparent uh, action points there. But this Baluchi thing just came out of nowhere and we told he's going to serve a five-month uh, sentence and that's going to end in first week of February. So your thoughts? Um, yeah, I'm a bit um, confused. The sudden leniency coming in. Um, maybe the authorities took such a buffeting over the Sharapova thing that they're realizing that uh, people are human, they do make mistakes, and that to ban them for 15 months, two years, is just a little bit over the top. The difference between how Maria Sharapova was, was treated, maybe because she was a superstar, that had something to do with it, in my opinion, uh, and how Thomas Bellucci has been uh, treated um, is amazing because they both were taking supplements. They were taking vitamin supplements. That's what meldonium was. That's what Maria Sharapova had been told to take at the age of 18 whenever she was going to take serious exercise, and that's what she'd been doing. And the authorities decided that on a certain date that substance would be illegal. Thomas Bellucci appears to have made a mistake, a different sort of mistake in a way, but he, he took the wrong supplement. He shouldn't have done it. They believed him when he said oh, that this was just a shocking mistake. And so he gets retroactive five months. Maria Sharapova, the, the, the ITF wanted to ban Maria Sharapova, one of only two ticket sellers in the game, for two years. <laughs> And eventually the court of arbitration said, come on, you know, let's get real and reduce it to 15 months. There's a big difference between 15 months and five. One was a superstar. Thomas Bellucci may be a superstar in Brazil. He's not worldwide. Or maybe there's been a little change. Maybe players are going to be treated a little more leniently if they can convince the authorities that they just made a genuine silly mistake. Uh, so it's interesting. We'll just have to see who they catch next. Okay, so on that note, let's see how the year plays out, Richard. Uh, thanks for joining. And hopefully, you know, we'll have you a couple more times, you know, if time permitting, of course. It was wonderful chat as usual. Thank you. Good luck for 2018 with the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir.